2 Timothy 4, 9 through 22 is uh, our text this morning. <clears throat> and if you've been with us, or as Lazo just alluded to, the series, the title of the series, this book that we've been going through, is Keep Calm and Carry On. And really, because Timothy is this timid young pastor, it's really what Paul is telling him. Timothy, keep calm. It's going to be okay. But you need to carry on the work that God has called you to, even though I'm not going to be able to do it with you. And so we've been going through that. And it's been an amazing, intimate look of this, this relationship between Paul the Apostle, this, this father of the faith, to his young prodigy, Timothy. And what Paul has been doing is he's just been instructing Timothy on the ways in which he ought to walk and conduct himself and really just to, 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 to how to be a pastor and a shepherd and one that would care and govern the church. He's pouring into this young pastor and he's giving him instructions. He's giving him exhortations and charges and things he should watch out for and things he should do and the ways in which he should go to be faithful to God as a pastor and as a minister. And if there was one overarching hope that Paul had for Timothy is what we studied last week. Is, is Timothy, I want you to finish well, just as I have. And so last week we studied, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Paul said that about himself, and he so badly wanted this for Timothy. And today, we finish studying Paul's final written letter that we have to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And what it is, is it's full of truths for us from God as well. So let's read 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 22, and then we'll get into it. On a note, I am going to butcher some of these names. Maybe all of them. So I'm just going to go with it. Um, <clears throat> says this, Paul speaking to Timothy. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But... I don't know, Tishikas, something. I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander, the coppersmith, did, much, did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisha and Aquila and the household of that guy. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus something, I left sick in Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you also, Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for this incredible season, 
this incredible work that we're all a part of and caught up in. And we're just thankful this morning that we get to open up your word and we get to hear you speak to us and we get to see your promises and your truths in it. Thank you, Lord, that your word is for us and there's everything in it pertaining to life and godliness. And Lord, we want to, as Timothy was soaking in these truths that the Apostle Paul was telling him, we want to, in the same way, receive and soak in and and let these truths dig down deep into the fabric of our being. Lord, I pray that today would be much more than more intellectual knowledge, but that we would be instructed and equipped for the work of the ministry ourselves. That it that deep down we would walk in these truths that you are speaking this morning. So Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us? pray you to anoint this time. I pray that I would be your mouthpiece for your glory and for your name's sake and that you would get all the credit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you can see here from our text this morning, it's, it's a little weird I mean, it's very sporadic. There's a, there's a lot of things going on. Paul's highlighting a whole bunch of different stuff. It's actually pretty funny in, in some parts in fun verses, if you, if, you, uh, if you saw that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But there's a lot that he wants to get across. There's updates. There's warnings of certain people, right? Alexander the coppersmith. You know that one guy? Alexander, watch out for him. He caused me much harm. Then there's another guy. He's like, I left him. for. He was sick. I left him. I had to go. You're just like, wow, okay, okay. Like, what do you want me to do about that, Paul? Like, what do you want me to do? So, so he's saying all these things. He, there's some personal issues he's bringing up. There's final little instructions, and there's wants that, that Paul has. He's concerned about Timothy. He's concerned about other people in his life. And there is one last truth that we'll look at this morning that Paul is, is going to teach Timothy in a, in a real way, with an example of his life. But what, you know, the verse that, I think everyone sees that is really funny in context is verse 13. When when you come to me, bring the cloak that I left. Bring my jacket. That's what he's saying. Bring my jacket that I left there and and, and bring my books. I want my books and my jacket. I mean, mean, all the things, right? Paul is about to, he's imminently going to be beheaded in Rome right now. The content of this letter, I mean, has been some of the heaviest theological controversy in the church. And then he's like, Timothy, bring me my jacket. I I need it. Bring me my jacket. We'll talk about that jacket in a a little bit. But I want to kind of go back in time for a little bit right now because there's something, there's a little connection I want to make. And it's where Paul left this jacket in his books. The city called Troas. On Paul's third missionary journey, we're told that Paul stops here. See, Paul took, you know, many missionary journeys. He actually took three. Some people think four, if you call it the trip to Rome, four. But what he did was he, he left Israel, he left Jerusalem, he left that part of the world, and he traveled throughout Asia and Europe, spreading the gospel Starting churches, establishing them, raising up leadership, instructing the elders of how the church should go. He was correcting false doctrine. I mean, this is, this is just a traveling Apostle Paul all over Asia and Europe at that time. And 
He, he encountered persecution. He was imprisoned. He, he wrote m- many of the letters from these trips, either while in prison or while he was traveling, all the, to the Thessalonians and the Corinthians and the Book of Romans. I mean, all this were written during these times. And Paul's third missionary journey, you can actually see it laid out in Acts 18 through 21. Th- those, those few chapters in the book of Acts highlight or kind of describe the, Paul's third missionary journey. And one of the most significant parts of that journey is that Timothy, the same Timothy that we're talking about now, was with him on that journey. Uh, he was with him that, that time, and he spent time with him, and he got to see how it, it, Paul did ministry, and he got to do ministry with him, and there was all this stuff that happened. Um, and it was roughly about a four- to five-year period was Paul's third missionary journey. Here, can, can I show the map first, actually? Sorry, I'm throwing PowerPoint up. Okay. Today, for my final sermon, I have a laser pointer. Had to do it. <laughs> oh, yes. Had to work this into a sermon. Had to do it. This is a map of Paul's third missionary journey. For those of you that are visual learners, it will give you some understanding. This is, you know, Syria up here. Modern-day Israel down here. This is Jerusalem, okay? But Paul is doing ministry up here in uh, Antioch. And then for about four to five years, he travels all throughout here, goes across, spends time in modern-day Greece, comes back through Troas, where he left his jacket, okay? And then, seriously, that's where he left it. He's in Rome. Rome, you know, the boot's over here somewhere. Italy, got it? Um, Then he comes back, and then he hits Caesarea, goes to Jerusalem. That's his third missionary journey. And we see that again in Acts 18 through 21. Um, here's Here's a quick timeline, better than what I just did. But between Paul's second and third missionary journeys, he spent time in Syrian Antioch there. You can pop up the next slide if you want. Sorry. Um, Get done with my map. I'm going to ask for it back, though, just so you know. Um, From there, Paul set off on his third journey from from Antioch across Asia into Europe. Uh, He first visited the churches in Galatia and and Phrygia in Acts 18. Paul Paul next returned to Ephesus, where his work caused an uproar and all this commotion and all this stuff happened, Acts 19. Then Paul revisited Macedonia and Greece, afterward going to Troas, and then to Miletus, which is important to note also. We're going to talk about that today. But from Miletus, Paul then sailed to Caesarea and then went to Jerusalem. That's, That's just what I just said. Here's what's significant. Want to put the map back up? I like it. So, okay, Paul's gone through his journey. He's, 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 he's done all of Greece. He's coming back. On his way back, he stops in Troas. This is where we see the story of the, Paul preaching this long sermon into the night. And this young boy named Eutychus is sitting on the windowsill. And Paul is preaching for so long that Eutychus falls asleep falls out of the window and dies. I mean, it's, I mean, for some of you, you might fall asleep because we're, we're going so long sometimes on Sundays. But to, but to fall down and die, I mean, it's a big, it's a significant story. What Paul does, though, just so awesome, he, he stops the sermon, oh, that's bad, goes down, checks, kid's, kid's dead, heals him, raises from the dead, goes back and preaches. That's bad. I mean... Apostle Paul. 
But how funny is it, right, that you think this Apostle Paul is articulate in his speech and would grab your attention? And uh, even, you know, in the book of Corinthians, it says, I didn't come in persuasive speech. I might know everything, but I'm not going to communicate it well to you. We see that. Paul might have not been the best communicator, right? Just preaching for hours and hours and hours and just killing people because of it. (laughs) Not saving them, killing them, but then, you know, redeemed. In his three-month stint in Troas, that happened. This story of Eutychus happened. We see this in Acts chapter 20. Sometime in that is when this jacket was lost. And his books were there. Um, Here's what I want you to note, though. That time, the last time Paul was in Troas, this third missionary journey, the one I've been pointing out with my laser pointer, was ten years before this letter in Timothy was written. Paul is talking about a jacket that he lost 10 years ago. I mean, I mean, isn't it so funny that there's anything in the whole world? Paul's like, that jacket, I've just been thinking about it. I need it. It's 10 years have gone on. Timothy, can you please bring my jacket? I can kind of understand it because he, he, he's on a boat ride across the Mediterranean. He doesn't have a jacket. He's thinking about it going, oh, I left my jacket there. But that's like us saying like in 10 years, like, Oh man, that Patagonia jacket, I so wish I had it right now. Or my books, my iPad, I wish I had my iPad right now. Can you please bring it to me? It's just so funny that he's doing this right now in his last letter. But anyway, Timothy knows what he's talking about because Timothy was with him in Troas. But what happens is, is he leaves, he leaves Troas. Kind of funny though, right? Uh, while Eutychus is falling out the window, he forgets to grab his jacket after the sermon type of thing. So... From Troas, uh, him and Timothy, they head out and uh, they travel a bit and they head down and Paul does not go to Ephesus, but he sails down to Miletus. And he doesn't go to Ephesus because, well, there's it's a couple of reasons. One is that there's just a lot of people that want to see him and there's a lot of people that hate him and dislike him and he just doesn't really have time for it. He's in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem, it says, for the day of Pentecost. And what he does is he sails off the coast to Miletus, about 30 miles south of Ephesus, and he tells the Ephesian elders to meet him out there. Hey, I can't come to you, but, but I am departing. I'm going back to Jerusalem. I want to tell you some more things. But what's kind of weird, is that we lose Timothy. Timothy was at Troas, and it seems like he's with him, but then somewhere around Ephesus, it just goes blank. Like, where is Timothy on this missionary journey? But if you read it, the language would seem, even though it's a bit vague, that Timothy is still with Paul, either on the boat, or he's with the Ephesian elders when they come to him. And here's why it's significant is that Timothy, later on, would go to be one of these elders in Ephesus. And not only that, he would actually lead the church in Ephesus with these elders. And Paul has something, his final address to them before he goes back to Jerusalem, he has something to say. And I can't say for certain Timothy was on that boat, but I think there's a good chance that he was. And what happens is, is Paul sets sail and the Ephesian elders, and I believe along with Timothy, goes back and continues to do ministry there. And he gives this farewell speech. It's a pretty, it's a pretty long message that we have from Paul. It's Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. And I want to read it to you guys. You guys with me, though? My crazy maps? 
I'm, I'm jumped back 10 years, just so you know. I'm 10 years in from 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy 20, 17 through 38. I have it on the screen, but if you do want to turn there, you're totally happy to as well. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. But what Paul says here will, will blow your mind. And I want you to, before we read it, I want to give you some framework. If you've been with us the last seven weeks in the book of 2 Timothy, you'll have understood the themes and the content and the context of the letter that Paul has been writing. And the exhortation that we're going to read in just a moment of Acts chapter 20 is probably one of the best summaries of the book of 2 Timothy that you could bring to one paragraph. I mean, it's pretty incredible, and I want you to, to pay attention. If you've been here, pay attention to the words Paul is saying, because it's, it's almost word for word sometimes exactly what he's telling Timothy 10 years later. And it's a really good summary of Paul's life and his ministry, um, because in context, he didn't know what was awaiting him in Jerusalem. So if anything, Acts chapter 20, verses 17, 38, was written by Paul, or was spoken by Paul, with the same heart that 2 Timothy was. Hey, I might die. This might be my final instructions to you of how to lead the church. And so, as we read, as we've been reading the book of 2 Timothy, you can only think of, if Timothy was on that boat, as he was reading this letter that Paul was writing him, it would have brought him back to the deck of that boat 10 years earlier with the rest of the Ephesian elders. It would have brought him back to to these same truths that Paul is speaking about. And so let's read Acts 20, verse 17 through 38. This is a little description, and this is Paul speaking. From Miletus, right, he sent to Ephesus, and he called to the elders to the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. But how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, remember? Not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me that in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. How about that? When the Holy Spirit tells you that. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish the course. Same wordage. Ten years earlier. And that the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this uh, to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for you yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shep- to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. 
Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that day and night for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to his word of his grace. So Pauline right there which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said is as blessed that you, more blessed than you give than to, to, to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them. And they began to weep aloud. And they embraced Paul. And they repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. It's this incredible scene. And and, and there's a good chance that Timothy was there hearing this. I mean, it's a a pretty emotional moment. But but if you've read the book of Second Timothy, don't you, do you see the same common themes are here 10 years earlier? Same wordage, the same charges. Know the word, cling to the word. Don't be unashamed. Don't, be, don't shrink back from declaring the whole gospel. Finish the course. Keep the faith. Be strong in God's grace. There's warnings of false teachers. I mean, this is the, this is the book of Second Timothy summed up. This is the book of Second Timothy summed up. And as Timothy is reading this letter we're studying right now, some 10 years later, he most definitely would have vividly remembered this. Paul actually would go on to see him again. See, after he went to Jerusalem on that map, he actually went to Rome on some would say his fourth missionary journey. And that's where he is currently in his second imprisonment. He's already been imprisoned once in Rome. This is his second one. And in his first time, Timothy came to see him. And in this letter we see today is Paul is asking him to come again. Timothy, I miss you. I want you to come again and see me. But here's the takeaway. The takeaway is that the same charges that Paul is talking here about were true then. And the things that he said about his life and his ministry Man, we're really the secrets of how he did finish the course and how he did run the race. And what it is is just a really sweet 10-year testimony. I mean, there's more than that to Paul's life, but there's this 10-year, the last 10 years of Paul's life testified of Paul's devotion to Christ and his faithfulness to Christ and God's faithfulness to him. It's incredible. And what I want this to do is, if, if, you, if, you, if you want to go back later, you can. But if you're just wondering, like, what was the book of 2 Timothy about? Just read Acts chapter 20, 17 through 38. It, it gives a great synopsis. But I, I, I want these words and these charges and the things that we've studied over the last eight weeks to really sink in. And for Timothy, it did take reminder. It did take hearing it a second time. And he really needed to hear it a second time. Because he was going into unchartered waters now without the covering and the protection of his father in the faith, Paul. But Paul here in his farewell to Timothy wasn't done. It wasn't done. But this time it was the last time. Timothy would never see Paul again. Timothy would never come to visit him. Um, In and of days or weeks of this letter written, Paul was beheaded in Rome. But he did. He finished the course, he ran the race, and he kept the faith. And we have this as an example to testify of God's goodness and his glory. But 
But he's not done. There's one final lesson and one final truth that Paul wants to leave with Timothy, and that's verses 16 through 18 of our, of our text this morning. It says this. If, if, if you have it open, I'll just remind you what it says. Paul speaking, At my first defense, no one supported me and all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear that I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom and to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As a last final example to Timothy, he used his own testimony to teach him a lesson. And as a testimony of Paul's own life and time with Jesus, his last final exhortation was speaking in in paraphrase, was Timothy, Jesus is with you. Through it all and whatever you may go through and whoever, however alone you may feel, God is with you. That's what he's saying here. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, Timothy, I'm leaving now. My time of departure has come. I'm not going to be around anymore. I'm leaving now, but God will never leave you. All these years I've been pointing you to the great I am, to the God that will never leave you or forsake you. Again, he's using his personal testimony to show this truth to Timothy. And what I would also say to Timothy is, you know, God has called you, Timothy, and God won't abandon you. But he's faithful to complete the work that he started in you, Philippians 1.6. As Paul is saying these truths, you have to remember that Timothy was with Paul or helped Paul write some of these books. The book of Philippians, it says, Paul and my faithful servant Timothy write these things to you. As Paul is saying these things to Timothy in this final letter, these truths Timothy has heard before because he's been a part of them and he's seen Paul's life as a testimony to them. Paul, this would also mean for Timothy that Paul would say, it would mean something like, Timothy, and even though people close to you even and serving alongside might leave you, God will never abandon and leave your side. Everyone has the capacity to leave you, Timothy. Everyone has the capacity to abandon you. And even he uses his own life as an example. Verse 10, he says, today Demas has deserted me. Crescens and Titus are also gone. Verse 15 of our text this morning, no one has supported me. Everyone has left me. But Timothy, my God has always been there for me. And everything and in all ways, God has stood with me. This is what Paul is saying. The final lesson that Paul wants to leave Timothy with is Timothy... With whatever happens, right? You're governing this church in Ephesus and there's all this turmoil going on. Even the people that you're closest to may leave you. You may encounter incredible persecution, incredible hardship, but do not lose hope for God is with you. And he's been with me. And even though everyone has abandoned me, my God has not. And that God is your God. And that's what he's saying here. 
in church, this truth is so for us as well. And how comforting it is for us knowing that our God is with us. For one second, think, put, put yourself in my shoes. As I was studying this, this week, looking at this, trying, trying to, to get it for myself first, I, I, I actually began to weep as I wrote these words because they so ministered to me. Because even though God is calling me to Hawaii, and you might think, well, that's just going to be the best thing in the world. I'm going, as of right now, alone. And I'm for sure will feel alone. And there will be times when it will not be at all fun or exciting or wonderful. And so-called paradise will not be paradise when you start a church. The devil hates that. People hate that. And so you have to understand, for me, as I'm reading these truths that God is with me, it, it, and I hope for you, not, not just making it all about me, for you in your life right now, with whatever you're going through, or whatever tomorrow holds, or next year, it will be filled in some sense, maybe more than others, with hardship, with difficulty. For some of you in this room, you are encountering Either seasons, right? A season of hardship that just will not end. Or, 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 or you're battling a disease that, that, that's horrific. For some of you, you, you've lost your jobs the start of this year. And what I want to do this morning is I want you your hearts to be softened as long as it's with, with mine for the truth that God is with you. That God is with you. You know, we studied Psalm 23 over Christmas time. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my God is with me. You're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Brothers and sisters, do not forget that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us cannot forget these truths of who God is to us. Before Jesus went to be with the Father, before he did that, he told his disciples, it's better that I go because I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit being God. I'm going to send him to you. And, and now, church believers, those of us that, that have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we've been redeemed and set free, the, our, our body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 6. Romans chapter 8. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Wow. These same truths that, that Tim, for, for Timothy and for Paul are for us. We serve and we love the same God. And those truths are so comforting that God is with us and he'll never leave us or forsake us. These truths are so comforting. What we see in Scripture is, is what a theological term for it would be called God's omnipresence. And that's it's a part of God's characteristic or, or his nature. And by definition, omnipresence would be all present. 
And what I mean by that is that just as God is unlimited or, or infinite with respect to time, like he's outside of time, God is unlimited with respect to space. Uh, you could say it this way. God does not have spatial, spatial or size dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being. God. Yeah, you can't understand it because you're not God. Some stuff we just can't. A.W. Tozer, one of my most favorite humans, uh, authors, writers, pastors, described God's omnipresence this way. Omnipresence means that God is all-present. God is close to, for that is what the word means, close to, near to, here, everywhere. It is near, he is near to everything and everyone. He is here. He is next to you wherever you may be. If you send up the furious question, Oh God, where art thou? The answer comes back, I'm where you are. I'm here. I'm next to you. I am close to everywhere. I love that. I'm close to everywhere. That's what the Bible says. God being spirit is right here. And he'll never be any farther away. And he can't get any nearer than he is right now. I love that. Uh, about 10 years ago, I was 21, I went to serve at our orphanage that we support in Thailand with our dear brother, Ron Miller. Ron Miller's been over there for a few decades now, taking in orphans and those coming out of uh, sexual prostitution and the sex slave trade. And God has immensely, immensely blessed uh, that. And it's been incredible work. And I went over there 10 years ago to serve. Um, just open-handed, God, do whatever you want me to do for six weeks. And one week, or maybe even a couple days into that, uh, sadly, Ron's mom had passed away, and so he had to fly back to the States. And what it did was it left me in northern Thailand with no one that spoke English at the orphanage. And on top of that, two days before I went on this trip, Britt and G, down in Carp, asked me to pray about coming on staff at Reality as the junior high and high school pastor for Carpinteria. And so not only was I alone, not being able to speak to anyone, but I had a heavy decision on my shoulders to, to come back to, 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 to know what to do. God, what should I do? Should I heed this call? Is this from you? Should I do this or not? And to this day, the loneliness that I felt there actually has never compared. It's, it's palatable, palatable. I can feel it. I can go back there. And it was a really hard, lonely, isolated time. Again, it was only for a handful of weeks. But I can remember some of those moments very vividly feeling alone. And I'm sure every one of us has felt this. But I specifically felt as I'm praying every day. And I'm like, there's really no one else to talk to but myself and God. They really cannot communicate at all verbally with anyone. It's all nonverbal. That I just feel like God was absent. Like the heavens were closed. And I wasn't feeling his presence. This omnipresence thing was not even a thing. Like I did not feel or sense God at all. And a good friend of mine 
who I served in the high school group as a leader uh, with, sent me an email. This girl uh, turned out to be my wife um, because she's awesome and incredible and hears from Jesus and sends me the exact scripture at the exact moment in my email that I needed. So I asked her to marry me. (laughs) And uh, it's been, other than saying yes to Jesus, saying yes to my wife has been the best. Uh, but she sent me Psalm 139. If you've read this, it's, I'm sure, been a comfort to you. If you have not read it, I'm going to blow your mind right now. This is David testifying and singing about the characteristics of our all-present God. And as I read this, I want you to know that these truths of who God is is for you and for me. Psalm 139, I'm going to read a good section, first 18 verses. Uh, you can turn there or I have it on the PowerPoint. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, even if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea. Hawaii. No, I'm serious. Hawaii is the, the most remotest island chain in the world. I'm just telling you, this is me. I'm speaking, speaking to me, God. Even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. And I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You formed me in my inward parts. You've woven me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is God. The takeaway from this and from these truths for us is that our God is near to us. And his nearness is our good. The psalmist also wrote Psalm 30, uh, excuse me, 73, 28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. The truth that God is with us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he is omnipresent, that he's all-present, should change most everything about our lives. First, it should change the way we live. What I mean by that is, if God is all around, 
and he sees everything and he knows everything and he's near to me all the time, then what that should do for us is give us accountability. That truth should help us to not sin against him, knowing that he's there in our presence. See, sometimes we fall into the traps of temptation and sin because we think no one's looking or no one will find out. God is with us. God is with us. Allow that to sanctify us. It also changes the way we feel. See, our emotions are so up and down and roller coaster, and there's things that can just trigger immense fear, pain, and anguish, and we can quickly become so scared. And there is real things that that can happen in our life to make us feel certain ways, but the truth that God is with us should bring us immense comfort and safety and peace. As the psalmist said in, in Psalm 16, 8, he says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. The truth that God is with us should be comforting in the midst of all that we are in and what we will go through. Because even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us. And if he's with us, and if it's God that's with us, well, that, then those big things, those big problems actually just became really small problems because it's God who's with me and it's God who's the one that's going to strengthen me. The truth that God is with us should change the way that we share our faith. Church, we should just be as bold as lions, knowing that God is with us and he's for us and who can be against us? It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and he'll bring back to remembrance the words that we need to speak at the proper time. Church, allow this truth to change the way that you witness. And if you're wondering what all that means, read the book of Acts. Before every miraculous, incredible thing that ever happened, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They prayed for God's feeling and then they went. God used them so incredibly to share their faith. They trusted that God was with them so much that they would come out of trials and courtrooms before the Sanhedrin and people would go, these are uneducated and untrained men, but it seems like they've been with Jesus. Acts chapter four. This truth that God is with us, that he's Emmanuel, should change the way we pray. I mean, right it should change. If God is here and his ears are attentive to our cries, I mean, I mean, literally he is here with us. If we walk and know that truth, well, shouldn't we not only pray more, but pray more fervently, pray more expectantly? And I think sometimes we get into this rut of this prayer, prayers is this religious thing and God might get to it later or you know what, there's a lot of people praying, so how God's gonna do it? Where is God? God, where are you? I'm here. I'm right here listening. I'm awaiting you to speak to me so that I can move on your behalf. The truth that God is with us should change the way we pray. What it should also do is it should change the way that we worship. God is here with us now. I'm going to praise him for all that he is and all that he's done because he's with us. 
There's this really cool thing that God does. God is omnipresent, meaning he's all, all, all over the place. But also there's this thing called the manifest presence of the Lord. He pours a little more of himself in certain places and at certain times. And a lot of times they're, they're tangible expressions of it, right? Because the omnipresence of God, we might not always feel. And we, we might ask the question, God, I just don't feel you. How can you be near to me if I don't feel you? And just to kind of remind us of this truth, sometimes God pours his manifest presence out. And a lot of times he does that in worship. The Shekinah glory filled the temple so much that the priest couldn't minister in it. One of the stories of the Old Testament. But the truth is, the reason why we are near to our God, the reason why a sinful people can now commune and be in the presence of a holy God is because something happened, and that something is the cross. And that mediator that we have between us and God is the person Jesus Christ. And what happened was that when Jesus died on the cross, he tore the veil in the temple that signified where the Holy of Holies was, God's presence. He tore that veil so no longer one man once a year entered God's presence. Everyone at all times could boldly approach the throne of grace. We see the gospel and the nearness we've received to God through Christ in the book of Ephesians. What I want to do is I want to really end with this section of Scripture testifying of our Jesus that bought us by, the, by his blood for a price so that we could be with God and in, in his presence. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and verse 13. I have it on the screen so you can just look. This is all of us. As for you, you were dead in our transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by work, so that none of us can boast, but we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? Church, one day we will be in God's presence, the fullness of it, all the time for all of eternity. And when that happens, we'll get the fullness of God because we'll be free of sin and free of distractions and free from everything 
that makes us feel distant and every hindrance. And coming a day, we will experience God in all his fullness for all of eternity. But for now, till we see him face to face, let's walk in the truth and promise that God is near to us. And that is our good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us. That we now have, the, have God in us. That the, the, the God of the universe dwells in us and inside of us. And Lord, allow that truth this morning to, to change everything. Change the way in which we worship and pray and live and share and, and breathe. Thank you, Lord, that just the truth that you have told us this morning that I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Is, means everything. It changes everything, Lord. Thank you that it is so true that you are the God of all comfort. And you give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Father God, thank you that you are near to us whether we feel like you are or not. Whether we in our finite minds, with our finite abilities, think that or not. Thank you that you are infinite. The time and space is nothing for you. You don't have any capacities like that. You are everywhere all the time and you're with us and you're for us in your fullness. So Father God, we pray that these truths would shape us to become more like you. And if there's anything that we want to come away with this morning, it's praising you for what you did for us on the cross. You brought us near by the blood of Christ. That you separated the gap between your presence and your people you've washed us as white as snow, that you've transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. The old has passed away. The new has come. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Thank you that the God that made everything, that holds the heavens in the span of his hands, is intimately acquainted with all our ways. And there's nowhere and nothing that we can do to be apart from your presence. Allow these truths to comfort us this morning and be the lifter of our head. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We give you this time. We worship you now. We praise you now. We thank you now for who you are and what you've done. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.